is buying a home something that is really important to you and you would love to start the process, but you simply just don't know where to start, this episode is for you. I'm going to dive in and talk about all the little bite-sized pieces that you need to get into place. And guess what? This doesn't have to be scary. This doesn't have to be hard. And I'm going to even go out on a limb and say the process of buying your first home can actually be fun. Let's dive in. You're listening to the Girl Get Your Face Off a Bus Bench podcast, where we invite you to check your ego at the app, grab a cup of coffee, and get ready to dive into all things real estate marketing, social media, friendship, hardship, love, money mindset, and all the things that celebrate you as a badass boss babe. We're here to encourage you, show up for you, give you a loving kick in the pants when you need it most, and be your soft place to land on the hardest of days. So pull up a seat at our table and get ready to be inspired and start living your best life by design. Welcome to the Girl Get Your Face Off a Bus Bench podcast. We are so excited you're here. Okay, girls, let's dive in. Hey, Bus Bench Babes, Beth here doing a solo episode, and we're talking all about navigating the real estate market as a first time home buyer. I know this can sound super overwhelming, and you might just be sitting in a state of uh, like panic, um, non motion, just like sitting there kind of stirring and stewing, like, I, I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to do nothing type thing then this episode's for you. We're going to break it down into some bite-sized pieces about how to get started, things to consider, and I want you to buy your first home. I still, I bought my first home years and years ago, and I still can vividly remember how I felt, what the process was like, and all the things. So I want to be here and I want to be your guide to help you um, be able to feel comfortable with this process. So let's just, let's dive in and talk about all the things. First things first, I think you need to start saving some money. If you're that person that you're living paycheck to paycheck, or you just simply have spending that's a little bit out of control, now's the time to like tighten that little financial belt and start setting money aside because even if you were to get a gift or some special down payment assistance programs, there's still costs involved with moving. So let's talk about some of the typical costs. In a typical scenario, you're going to have down payment, and that's usually in the ballpark of 3%, anywhere from 3% or more. Um, unless you were to do some special like down payment assistance programs, you can pretty much expect to have to be about 3% down. Um, another thing to consider is your closing costs. So those are the hard costs associated, and these are outside of your down payment. Um, these are things like um, lender fees, your appraisal, title fees, setting up an escrow account for your title or your taxes and insurance. These are approximately three percent, also. Um, and then other things to consider that are sort of like, oh, I forgot that these are a part of the process. Um, things like your home inspection. So a home inspection is something that is optional for the buyer and you are paying that um, upfront. And it's something that you're doing for your own peace of mind. So having an inspection is super important. Um, and then you can expect to spend 
depending on if you want to have sewer inspected and radon and all the things, you can expect to spend anywhere from like four to seven hundred dollars on an inspection. Other things to think about are moving expenses and what about a home warranty? If you thought about getting a home warranty to cover your home for that first year or 12 month period that you're in your new home, those are things that are sort of outside of that scope of that 3% closing costs. Um, now let's talk about like how much can you afford? A lot of times people can afford more home, home than what they want to spend. And so a lot of times our lenders will work the numbers back, backwards. A buyer will say, I want to spend, let's say $2,000 a month. That's sort of like that dream number that I feel comfortable or we feel comfortable spending. So what does that look like from a purchase price standpoint? Um, so a $2,000 a month mortgage payment is not just your mortgage payment. It factors in principal and interest. It also taxes factors in your taxes and insurance. So you got to make sure you're looking at the numbers correctly. Um, but working those numbers backwards can sometimes get you to a better point of um, having that number be really comfortable. How about talking to a great lender? We have tons of great lenders, but sometimes buyers aren't sure, do I talk to a lender first or do I talk to a real estate agent first? My recommendation is talk to me first, and then I'm going to hook you up with some awesome lenders instead of just um, having a shot in the dark and hoping you find a great lender. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, not all big box lenders are created equal. Let me just say that. I really love working with brokers. Um, the reason being is they have access to additional products. So if you just go to your credit union or you just walk into a big national brand, a big bank, fill in your fill in the blank on that. They really only have certain loan products to sell you. They don't have they don't have access to everything. They have access to a number of products, but you might have a scenario where you need an additional type of product that they might not carry. So I, that's one of the reasons I love working with brokers who have access to several, several different financial institutions and several different types of loans. So that is, um, that's something that's important is start having communications with an awesome lender. And what they're going to do is they're going to pull your credit. And if you have any credit issues, they are going to help you walk through the credit process and what do I need to do to raise that credit score? What's that going to look like if I have this credit score? What are my um, interest rates going to look like? Or if I improve my score 20 points and I have this credit score, what will that look like? It's a lot like insurance. It's, you're rewarded with better interest for to have a better loan product and better interest rates, the better that your credit score. Um, things to consider when we're talking about the financial piece of it is do not open any new credit lines. Don't race out and buy a new car unless it's absolutely necessary. Keep your credit card balances low. So if you have a $5,000 limit on your credit card, you're going to want to keep the balance really low on that card you're carrying. Um, the higher the your max credit is versus what your limit is, that is really one of those things that affects your credit score greatly. There'll be promotions out there that will say, oh, this, you know, or sometimes at furniture stores, they'll say, oh, well, this isn't going to put an actual pull on your credit score. It does. It always does. So if you're in the middle of that home buying process and something comes up and you're like, ooh, I, you know, my car died. Like I actually need to get a car. Talk to your lender 
talk to your realtor before you make any of those um, impulse purchases because you don't want to be in the middle of a loan a process or in the middle of your home buying process and all of a sudden have something catastrophic happen and not be able to buy your home. That would be the most awful scenario. Um, there are a lot of first-time homebuyer loan programs out there and not all lenders offer them, but like sometimes there's community grants and community programs. Some communities offer incentives for you to move into their community because they are trying to entice people and to have more home ownership in the community. So that that's something to look into, but not all first-time homebuyer programs make sense. So sometimes some of these down payment assistance programs that you hear about are essentially a second mortgage. And so they have really, really low to no interest on them, but you're going to be paying a first mortgage. And then for that additional down payment money, you're going to be paying a payment on a second mortgage too. So sometimes when you combine those two numbers, it doesn't necessarily make sense or it might push your um, comfort zone as to what you want to pay every month. So think about that before, um, or like when you're looking at the numbers, that it's like the theory of the home buyer and down payment assistance programs are sometimes like, oh yeah, I'm going to be able to get into a house for really low down. But if you actually have the money saved, it can be in your best interest to not do those programs. So you just, you have to see what works for you. It, this is not, certainly not a one size fits all. Um, something that we see very regularly uh, with first-time homebuyers is they get gift funds from a grandparent or um, a mom and dad or something like that. And so you can't just get a check from your mom and dad and then deposit it into your account without a paper trail. The lender wants to see like, where did this money come from and who gave it to them and under what circumstances. So lenders have a form called uh, a gift fund form. And it's basically like a one page form um, talking about where the money came from, what account it's going to, who it's going to, that sort of thing. So gift funds are generally acceptable, but you want to make sure that you're doing the proper steps while you're getting that gift fund. And if you skip some of those steps, it can create a little bit more headache down the road. Another thing that I've seen happen is I had a client with, um, I've actually had a couple of clients over the years, like with motorcycles or cars, and then they sell them thinking that, oh, this is going to be my down payment money. And they sell a vehicle let's just say they sell a car for $5,000 and then they deposit and maybe they got $5,000 in cash and then they deposit $480 into their account. So they've got a paid receipt saying I sold XYZ vehicle, but then they have a deposit slip that is for a different number. And they're like, oh, I just took a couple hundred dollars out of there. That can cause red flags. I know it sounds really silly, but the lender... And the underwriter that's underwriting the loan needs to create the picture and they need to make sure that nothing looks fishy. What the lender is on the look lookout for is what's called mattress money, meaning you have a side hustle that maybe you're not paying taxes for and you just have a bunch of cash sitting there and you take a lot of the cash and you deposit it into your bank account. Well, the lender wants to see like, where is that money coming from? They don't want to see mattress money. They don't want to see like undocumented funds. So everything has to have a paper trail. So that is one of the, th that 
in the world of loans and lending, those are the things that really can cause, as one of my clients say, a bugaboo in your situation and throw that wrench in there that you do not want to have to deal with. So this is where a great lender is going to walk you through exactly what depositing that looks like, what kind of documentation you should have, and just so that everything is goes off without a hitch. Now let's talk about a pre-approval letter. So once you meet with your lender and you talk about all your financials and they pull your credit, they look at your income, your assets, um, paycheck stubs, all of that sort of thing, then they're going to issue what's called a pre-approval letter. And this is what you need in order to go home shopping. Of course, you can go home shopping without it, but there's a lot of real estate agents that will not even... They won't even entertain the idea until you've got that letter in hand. And what I always say to buyers that I'm working with is that you're just setting yourself up for a tricky situation because chances are you, you, it's that time when you don't have your pre-approval letter in place that you walk into an open house or you walk into a a house with an agent and you're like, Oh my gosh, this is the one. Oh, I'm going to write an offer. This is the one. This is the house that I've been dreaming about. And then guess what? Then you're scrambling and it's nine times out of 10, it's on a weekend and it's like late on a Friday night or Saturday and Sunday. And then you're trying to get a hold of a lender and it becomes so stressful. So if you can avoid that stress and do the steps in the right order, you're going to save yourself so many headaches down the road. And what if you have some credit glitches that you didn't know about that you need to fix? Then you're just going to be you're just going to be disappointed if you can't write an offer on that dream house. So get your pre-approval letter done early. Have that in hand before you go home shopping and you're going to feel so much better about being ready to go and being confident with pulling the trigger, knowing exactly what you can expect for a monthly house payment and just have that ease and um, just that, that sense of peace that, yeah, this is a good decision. I'm not making a split second decision. I'm not doing this um, irrationally without like thinking through everything. So that's why I think a pre-approval letter is super important. It's just is setting yourself up for success. Another thing that's equally as important is choosing a great agent. There are so many real estate agents out there. Literally, the the entry to this industry is really easy. Um, I'm I'm just going to go out and say that. There are a lot of people that are real estate agents that maybe shouldn't have real estate licenses. They're doing it as a hobby. They are doing it just to like buy and sell their own properties. And then they might help a client every now and then. But if someone isn't in the trenches day in and day out, and this is not their craft, and this is not what they specialize in, that's probably not the person that you want to work with when you were buying your first home. I always say, like, when we talk about our team, the agents on our team, we are full-time agents. We are in the trenches every day. We This is what we do. This is how we put food on our table. So this is really, really important. I am not a hobbyist. Um, none of the agents on our team are hobbyists, like practicing their craft on clients. That isn't, that's just not what we do. So think about that. Um, 
I hear it all the time. I was working in open house last year. We had this gorgeous house in St. Louis Park. If you know the area, you know it's like such a hot, a hot market for first time home buyers. And this darling girl comes into the open house with a baby and a baby carrier. And she's going through the house and she's like, oh my God, I love it. She's like, we're moving back here from Colorado. My husband's from this part of town. I'm from this part of town, this part of town, you know, St. Louis Park was like right in the middle and we'll be close to all the grandparents. We have the baby and yada, yada. She's like, my husband's coming back from a bachelor party. She's like, I'm hoping he can meet me here. And so she and I just like built this great rapport. It was awesome. She's like my ideal client. She just was cool and had all of her ducks in a row and like knew what she wanted and had great style. And I said, okay, so like, who are you working with? And she goes, oh, we're working with this agent that is one of my dad's friends. And she's like, I have like an obligation. She's like, my parents would just not be happy if I wasn't working with him. And she's like, I'm so bummed because you are just the type of agent we've been looking for. And like that kind of stuff sucks is that her hands are tied because her parents are like, you got to work with our guy. Well, two hours later, their guy called me and he's like, lives two hours away, doesn't even live in the Twin Cities. And he was not the type of agent that I could have imagined her working with, with my dealings with him. And um, one of the other agents on our team was at the open house at that time. And she's like, wow, that agent was really interesting when they came back to see the home again. And he was, he was very argumentative and he didn't play nice in the sandbox with other agents. Just the whole thing just didn't match up with what you're expecting when you're buying your first home and making a $400,000 purchase is not something that you should take lightly. It's not something you should take lightly as a buyer. And in my opinion, it's not something that I ever take lightly as a real estate agent. So I, I always feel sorry for buyers like that, that um, almost get wrangled into working with an agent and working with your aunt Betty's sister-in-law who's been licensed for 35 years is probably not the agent that is going to be best suited for a first time home buyer. You want someone that's really in the trenches day in and day out. They know what the market can expect. They know um, all of the stats of how many, how many offers can a certain home expect? How, how competitive do you have to give with your, get with your offer? Are they friends with other agents in the industry that are going to give you the competitive edge? There's a lot of things to consider, um, sort of like those behind the scenes things that you might not even think about right out of the gate when hiring an agent, but they're things that are really important and they're th things that can dictate how successful you are with buying your first home. Agents are super important. Um, wants versus needs lists. So you've gotten through the pre-approval process. You found an awesome agent. Now you have to think about all the things that you want in your new home. Do you have a must have like that non-negotiable list? A lot of times when we're sitting down with buyers, we are talking about all those specific things. Do you work from home? Do you need a work from home space? How, if you drive to work, how long of a commute is a commute that you would consider? Uh, do you have little kids? Do you need to live close to grandma and grandpa for babysitters? Or maybe there's a certain school district that's important to you. Um, a lot of times with first time home buyers, they don't maybe have all of those key things in place. But 
how do you live your life? Do you do you have a Peloton? And that's something that every morning you get up and you get on your Peloton. Well, then we need to find a home that has a space to house your Peloton. Maybe you have a significant other. Well, your Peloton might not be able to be in your bedroom if your significant other is sleeping. So where is that Peloton bike going to go? Um, maybe you have a bunch of uh, kayaks. We have a client right now that their garage looks like an REI store. They have two kayaks. They have two of everything. They have two bikes. They have two this, two that. And so they're like, well, a two-car garage would be great. But if we could find a two-car plus garage, that would be even better. So those are the things that we really want to dive in because there's going to be cute homes that pop up all the time. But does it check enough boxes for you to pull the trigger and make make that decision. I The thing that I am always trying to avoid is a buyer moving into a home and then they call me six months later and they're like, Beth, like we're just like busting at the seams already. I want you to be able to live in your home and have it live the way that you want a home to live for many years. Um, the average that a home buyer is in a home these days is about five to eight years, if that is helpful to you. What about how you want to live. Like, so maybe you've been living in an apartment for years and years and you're like, okay, well, I want to be that house. I want to be the house in our family where I get to host Christmas. Like Christmas is my jam. I want to be able to decorate. I want that mantle to hang the stockings. I want to be able to have a place for a big, beautiful tree and host all my friends and family. Um, maybe you're really into cooking and you love to have dinner parties and you've never had a kitchen that was worthy of that. So those are the things that let's really think about that. Um, I've had clients that say, okay, well, like my mom's in charge of this holiday and my mother-in-law's in charge of this holiday. So we want to be the house where we are hosting all the summer parties. Like we want to like string up those cafe lights in the backyard and have a fire pit. And we love to eat dinner outside and just, you know, play in the yard with our dog. So those, these are all the conversations that we have, like getting, getting down to the brass tacks and all those nitty gritty details of this is how I live my life now. This is how I can see myself or I would like to see myself living my life um, once I own my own home. So it's not just like I need a three bedroom, two bath. There's usually a lot more layers to that and we need to peel back the onion so we can get to what all those layers are. Um, making the most of open houses. So you have a pre-approval letter in hand. Maybe you go around on a weekend and look at open houses in other areas that maybe were not on your radar. There's a lot of areas of town that are awesome that maybe you're completely unfamiliar with. Um, I, I can think of a couple in particular that I worked with years ago and they were an online lead. They called about one of our listings in a certain part of town and the house that we had for sale just, it didn't fit their needs. And then they're like, they were just sort of like really set on one side, one part of town. And I said, tell me more about that. Like what's important about living in this side of town? And they're like, well, X, Y, and Z reasons. And I said, okay, I, I said, can we just be frank? You know, I, we we're sitting at Caribou having coffee and I said, let's, can I just have a frank conversation with you? And they said, yeah, like, this is why we want to work with you because you are willing to have these conversations with us. I said, you know what, guess what? You really can't afford the neighborhood that you're looking in right now to be able to get the type of house that you want. It's, it's not available without being a complete 
dumpster fire type house. And I know that you want to do some projects, but can I suggest a couple of other areas where I think we would be able to find a house that would match your criteria of what you want, give you the livability that you want, close access to your jobs, and you're going to get a lot more house for your dollar. And they're like, yeah, we're totally open to different ideas. So I shared a couple other cities with them. We looked at homes in those areas and we found one that was perfect. It had been a rental it was, but on a beautiful corner lot, big, gorgeous trees, um, a side screened porch off the living room, just like so charming, so pretty. And then they went through and the wife is like a decor magician. She totally made this house turn into the cutest house you've ever seen. And they made a boatload of money on this house. They lived there for two years. And then they called me and said, you know what? we're done. This is good. We fixed it up as much as we want to. We love living here, but now we want to do new construction. And when I crunched the numbers for them, um, the husband's like, we're not selling. We just want to get an idea of what our house is worth. I'm like, okay. I'm like, I'm never going to pressure anyone into selling, but I showed them the numbers. The husband's like, yep, (laughs) we're going to sell. He was so thrilled with how much equity that they had created in this house. And they said that even when they moved to their new construction house, in order to get the new construction house that they wanted, they had to move further out of the city. They said some of the things that we miss about the area where we were living is like they had bikes and they would ride their bike to the brewery and they would go hang out and they'd go to the dog park and just do all the things that like a young couple wanted to do. And like awesome lifestyle. They would have friends over, they had fire pits in their backyard. And they said, we had no idea we were going to love that location as much as we did. So that's where an awesome agent comes into play where they're going to offer other suggestions and maybe you don't want the suggestion, but just to be able to have options so you can think outside the box, um, maybe is going to open your eyes to something that you never considered. So you find your dream home and you write an offer, your offer gets accepted. Now what? Well, things that you're going to want to think about is inspections. I talked about that earlier in the show that um, having an inspection is super important, Um, but we're in a hot seller's market. So then what does that look like? I never want to have my clients have to forego an inspection. Um, you, You can do that if that's completely your prerogative, but in my perfect dream world, I would love for you to have an inspection. I would love for the inspector to see what is actually going on with the home. But when we're in our hot sellers market, you don't just get to go back and say, okay, here's the gigantic laundry list of all the things I would like the seller to fix. What we're going to focus on is health and safety items. Things like, is the furnace working properly? Are there electrical issues? Are the radon levels high? So those are the things that would actually affect your health and safety living in a home. Um, Things like, oh, there, you know, I don't like this paint color or there's a cabinet hinge that's kind of wonky, or that sort of thing. Those are things that are really easy to fix on your own, and probably not the things you're going to be able to negotiate in an inspection. Once you get through the inspection period, you're going to be, your loan is going to be working on behind the scenes. So it feels like it's like, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, 
get your home under contract. And then it feels like there's a little bit of a lull from when you get under contract until the closing. Well, the lender and the title company are all doing, working their magic behind the scenes. They're going to be asking you for things like updated pay stubs and updated bank statements. But at the same time, there's a few things that you need to do. Um, You're going to need to set up your your utilities and you're also going to need to shop for homeowners insurance. So homeowners insurance is one of those things that you can call five different companies. You're going to get five different quotes. So you need to make sure that you're adequately insured. And you're also going to want to look at what that looks like with bundling your car and any other insurance policies that you have. Maybe you have an umbrella policy. Maybe you have a dog and you would be worried if like what would happen if some if your dog bit somebody. I know back in the day when we had dogs, we had an umbrella policy for those sort of things. I don't want to have an unpredictable old crotchety dog bite someone and then have somebody try to sue me and take my house. So like talk, you need to talk to an insurance agent and talk about all these sort of things. But when you're bundling all, all of it into one, it's going to save you money every month versus just having car insurance and then home insurance. And depending on where you're living and where you're moving to, a lot of times people have like apartments in the city. And then when they buy a home in the suburbs, their car insurance will go down greatly because you're taking away that extra level of risk of your car getting stolen in the city. It sounds ridiculous, but it's a thing. And I always say like, buy what you can afford. So right now I have a lot of buyers Um, We've had a lot of buyers over the last few years. They're like, well, we're just sitting on the fence waiting for the sky to fall. Well, is the sky falling? I think what the market has told us is that the sky is not falling right now. And the reason being is that we have such low inventory. So back when the market crashed in like 07, 08, you know, early 2000s when everything was ramping up, builders were building houses at an unprecedented rate and building condos and everything, every inch of every town in the country was getting inundated with building. And then we had this huge surplus of homes for sale. Um, We're talking to the tune of like nine to 10 months worth of inventory. So anytime we have five to six months worth of inventory or more, then we're considered to be in a strong buyer's market. So we had nearly double the amount of inventory of a balanced market just sitting on the market for sale and not enough buyers out there. So now the situation that we're in, especially here in the Twin Cities, I can't speak for the the whole country, but here in um, the Twin Cities area, we have about one to two months worth of inventory. So that is greatly under that um, balanced market of five to six months. So what that means is on paper, we are in a really strong seller's market. It's not to say that buyers aren't seeing wins and buyers are seen, that have gotten into the game and have bought their first home in the last handful of years, in the last five years, have seen massive amounts of appreciation. But what this creates is a supply and demand issue. So homes are still going up in value every month because we have such low supply of homes for sale. So some of the things that we're doing, we're looking for off-market properties for buyers, Um, we are trying to do deals with other agents that we know we're constantly networking and really trying to advocate for our clients so we can put them in the driver's seat and help our buyers buy a home. Are you going to pay top dollar for a home right now? Probably. 
but homes are continuing to appreciate. And if you continue to wait, are you going to be able to afford that home you want in two years, three years, five years? Um, I had some buyers last year that are simply priced themselves out of the market. They sort of sat on the sidelines um, and specifically said, we're just waiting for the market to crash. And I said, can you, can we talk about that a little bit? Like what, what do, what have you heard or what have you read out there that says that the market's going to crash? And they're like, well, it's just sort of like a gut feeling. Well, unfortunately their gut feeling was wrong and the market keeps going up in value. And now they just signed a, last year they signed an additional two year lease and they, they can't afford a house now. They're not going to be able to afford a house in two more years. So then what happens with that type of buyer? I don't know. Uh, I think that they're ha- going to, unless one of the, those two people get a job where they're paying, where they're making exponentially more money or they readjust their expectations on what that first home looks like. So many times buyers will say, well, you know, like I want my XYZ dream house. Let's be real here. Like the truth of the matter is this is your first home. This is not the home you're going to be in forever. It's very uncommon for somebody to be in a home for like more than 10 years for their first home. I had a buyer that was in her first home for 19 years and it just floored me. Um, and they were busting at the seams, but they had been in their house so long that now they were able to sell that home, have tons of equity, and then truly buy their dream home. But if the average person is in their home for five to eight years, your home is obviously a place of haven and rest and peace and like your security, but it also is a stepping stone to get you to your next home and to be able to pay, get money out of your first home when you sell it, and then be able to buy a bigger, more expensive home next time around. So don't think about your first home as like, it has to be the dream home. It has to be the home that fits your needs now at your stage in life right now, and use it as a stepping stone to get to that place that you want and to that dream home that you want someday down the road. So that's just you know, we're just scratching the surface here, but those are some of the things to start thinking about. I would love to have, if you're in the Twin Cities, I would love to have a conversation with you about what the home buying process looks like working with the BPR experience. We love working with first time home buyers. Um, not all realtors do, but I'm going to go on record and say we love working with first time home buyers. Like I said at the early, earlier in the show, I, re- I absolutely still remember when I was a first time home buyer. I had not told any anybody that I was buying a house in my family. Um, I was, I was living in Tampa and frankly, I didn't want my parents to talk me out of it. I know that my parents were really gunning for me to move back to Minnesota. And I was like, you know what? I want to buy a house here and I'm going to do it on my own. And I don't need their help. So I did, I did it on my, on my own. I was a realtor already. And let me just go on record and say a real estate agent that doesn't own a home I think that's someone you should be wary of. Um, I think that owning a home and going through that home buying process is like a rite of passage. And if you are in the industry of selling real estate, but you don't actually know what that process is truly like, you're doing your clients a disservice. 
that may be a controversial comment. And I frankly don't give a damn. (laughs) I learned so much about buying my first home and I'm like, oh my God, I need to do better. I really need to handhold my first time home buyers that much more because I was doing it alone. I had an awesome loan officer. She was like the age of my mom and she was, she was fabulous. There was a great loan program that fit my needs just perfectly. But like there was a few things that were a little bit touch and go with the loan. And I just kept telling her, I'm like, if this loan does not go through, I'm literally moving into your house with you and your husband because my lease is up and I have nowhere to go. And I have no family here and I am going to move into your house. And I think she thought I was joking. I was absolutely not joking. I was going to move into her house. Uh, But I still remember that day when I got my keys to my very first condo, it was a two bedroom, two bath condo. And I remodeled the kitchen right away. And I was on a pond in the front and a pond in the back. And I had a swimming pool. I can't even hardly describe like the sense of pride that I had for myself and this huge sense of satisfaction that I'm like, oh my God, I did this myself. I was in my 20s. I bought a home by myself without the help of my parents. And there it's it's a feeling that unless you've bought your first home, you you can hardly describe it. And it's one of those feelings I wish I could like bottle it up and sell it because it's one of those feelings that it would be awesome to tap into that that original feeling from time to time. So I love supporting first-time home buyers. Everyone on our team loves supporting first-time home buyers. And if you're a first-time home buyer listening to this episode and you think that the process is going to be scary or overwhelming, let's have a conversation and let's put some of those fears to rest and let's get you your first home. It's a big deal and we love to be here to celebrate all the things. So I hope you learned something. If you're a realtor listening to this episode, I hope you got a little bit of a couple of tidbits and some new nuggets to take away to incorporate into your business and making sure that you are making those home, those first time home buyers feel like the most special people on earth because buying your first home is a big freaking deal. So until next time, bus bench babes, keep your face off a bus bench and keep being the badass boss babes that you are. Okay, girls, are you feeling as inspired as we are? We're over here cheering you on because you just finished another episode of the Girl Get Your Face Off a Bus Bench podcast. If you want more, head over to girlgetyourfaceoffabusbench.com for show notes and more episodes. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. They mean the world to us and they're what keep us going. Girl, thanks for being here. 